Hey, welcome to the Church Home Podcast. My name is David and I'm the CEO here at Church Home and I'm so glad that you joined us today. In just a moment, you're gonna hear an encouraging message from Judah around the person of Jesus and his love for you. And hey, if we can serve you in any way, please do not hesitate to reach out and chat with a pastor on our pastor chat tool, which you can find on our website or on the Church Home app. And if you've been impacted in any way by this message, we wanna invite you to join those who so generously give to tell the story of Jesus across this globe. Go ahead and visit us on churchhome.org give or text the word generosity to 97,000. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this message. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna um, speak from the subject of God pursuing you. That's my topic tonight, God pursuing you. So the title of this sermon is God pursues you. That just came to me this afternoon. Um, I love you guys. You're like, he's serious. It was a, it was a joke. It was sarcasm, but all right. All right. We'll, we'll just keep moving. God pursues you. And I'm going to read a scripture to you in a moment, but You might find this interesting that in all of our study of God and all of our uh, vernacular and vocabulary and words and communication and writings and poems and poetry and all the different things we do to describe God, it is no mystery to me that as human beings, we oftentimes overemphasize kind of our role in this whole thing. So that chair came out of nowhere. So I hate you guys. So oftentimes you'll find in settings like this, and I fault no one for this. This is natural and normal. We seem to emphasize our pursuit of God. Now, for many of you, that is incredibly convenient because you pray every day, you read your Bible every day, and you've been in Sunday school since you were a kid. And frankly, you hang your hat some days on the fact that you are a God seeker. But for the rest of us, pursuing God is sometimes challenging, exhausting, mysterious. Sometimes it's full of lethargy. Sometimes, like, I'm the preacher, ironically, who will tell you the truth, that there are many days that even though what I do actually for a full-time job is to communicate the Bible, there are days I don't feel like reading my Bible. Now, I'm going to leave it at that because I don't want to tell you how many days a week I don't feel like reading my Bible because then you will start to look for maybe another gathering on this night in Beverly Hills. But I appreciate the emphasis and the teaching that we are, in fact, to seek God. And I just want to say to everyone here, as I kind of wade into this message, when your brain starts to tell you, but Judah, what about those scriptures? God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is me putting you at ease before we get going. I want you to know I know that verse. I love that verse. I just want to thank God for the emphasis of prayer, Bible reading, daily Bible reading, daily prayer. I think all of those things are wonderful. I do not believe they are the priority of scripture. I do not. I do not believe that your life is made up of the prayers you pray and the scriptures you read. I do not. In fact, I'd like to present to you tonight, and I don't mean to be shocking. I don't mean to minimize your prayers or minimize your Bible reading or minimize the amount of scripture you've memorized. I think that's wonderful. I think it's important. I think it's valuable. And it has such an important place in the life of a faith community. 
But I digress. And I would like to present before you on this proverbial table that we've all pulled a chair up to tonight that the, the reason you are even in this theater is not because you pursued God, but because God is currently, present tense, pursuing you. He is. And I'd like to, in a way, prove that, spound on that, kind of ease into that. So we're going to start at the beginning of the book. We won't read the whole book tonight. All right, tough crowd here. All right, Genesis chapter 3. Let's start reading in verse 8. And if you didn't bring your Bible, no worries, up on the screen. And the Bible says, Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Adam, where are you? This is how the story begins. This is how the Bible begins. This is how the story, not of God, for God has no beginning and he has no end, but this is our story as it relates to the centerpiece of the universe, God. Notice the story begins how. Who is pursuing who? Who is looking for who? Let me be clear. It is God looking for man. It is man hiding from God. It is God still looking for man, even though man is hiding from God. So, like, before we go, this is not my sermon, but this would make a good one. If you are hiding from God, he's also pursuing you. Like, I mean, it is that wild. And I'm going to do my best to try to expound and explain of why he is so hot in pursuit of you. And another note, how much do you love Samuel L. Jackson? I love Samuel L. Jackson. I really do. No, I love him. I think he's one of the most important actors of his era, generation. I love Samuel L. Jackson. Now, one of the things I admire about Samuel L. Jackson, I, I read an article about him, about how he kind of views his career. Now, if you are 44, you would know that Samuel L. Jackson sometimes will do four, five, six movies in a year. One year, right? Like he'll be in like, and he'll do like cameos. You'll be going to like three movies a week and Samuel L.'s in all of them, right? And you're like, how did he do that? And I read this article where he said, I, you know, I dreamed about this my whole life. Now that I'm here, like, I want to do it. I want to do and live my dream. But just the other day, I was hanging out with some people from another generation. Might be younger. I don't know. And the name Samuel L. Jackson came up. And I am disgusted with what I'm about to share with you. And I'm close to quitting on this generation. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's like what old people say. Someone brought up the name Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, I'm going there. This is terrible. And they go, oh, is that the Capital One guy? Oh, the what's in your wallet guy? And I was like, shut up. You know, like, this is what happens when you get old. You just look at young people like, I, don't, I wish I could harm you. That is so offensive. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Right? Like, here's a man's incredible career, and yet 
There might be some young people living in my home who don't know that he's not known for a bank card. He's known for an outrageous career. Now, why do I bring that up? Because I think we know God for the wrong things. I do. I think we know God for the wrong things. I think when we bring up God, a lot of people in the Western world culture, when we hear God, we think, I've got to do better for him. Somebody brings up God, and here's a classic Western world response. Yo, are you religious? Oh, man, I need to go back to church, man. Shoot. I hadn't been in a minute. Oh. Just, just bring up God and watch people. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, my, hey, yo, sorry. My language. Yo, was I? Oh, man, my bad. I didn't know you were a church guy. Immediately, when God is brought up, I want you to try this out. Tomorrow, it's just an interesting exercise. It is very rare that you'll be in a normal, natural setting and say to someone, God, Jesus, religion. And they go, oh. Isn't he wonderful? No, it's the Capital One guy. What's in your wallet? God is somehow this eternal celestial being who's in heaven going, worship louder. You haven't tithed this month. Hey, hey, language. I mean, y'all, this is the West Coast, so we know nothing of this, but if there's some people here from the Bible Belt or the buckle of the Bible Belt, you understand that there is a lot about the church in this country that has to do with just decorum. So we think God, we think no hat, no nicotine, no cuss words, and y'all know this one, no sex, barely sex in marriage. Barely. And if married people talk about it too much, that's weird. They got a weird spirit. We got people email us all the time in this church. You know, Judah talks about sex too much. Uh, I haven't even started. Like, I love sex. We're always thinking about sex, but it can never be talked about in church. For why would we speak of something that's always on our mind? God, sex, no. God, language, no. God, hats, no. God, whatever it is, no, no, no. So when he gets brought up, I think God must feel like Samuel L. Jackson with an 18-year-old. Hey, what's in your wallet? That's not really the majority of my work. The majority of God's work is not this. The majority of God's work is not in the throne room of heaven saying to his angels, Michael, Gabriel, who is the number one ranked worshiper right now? Show me him <laughs> or her. Show me. He doesn't rank worshipers. He's not keeping... He can't help but keep tally on everything, but you know what I mean. He's not keeping a tally of your spiritual statistics. God is not a man like you or me. He is divine and he is beyond our wildest imagination. It occurs to me upon reading his story 
which is our story as it pertains to him, that God's majority work is pursuing his passion and his passion is the human being. And that's what he does. This is what he does. In fact, he's known for it or he should be. God pursues you. So this is exciting because uh, no matter what you do, God's going to pursue you. <laughs> That's so wild. Some of you are like, I don't know how I came to this Saban Theater and who this guy is with the big shoulder pads and his jacket. What is going on here with it? What is, uh, God's pursuing you? Well, no, I was just invited. It's probably just God pursuing you. He just has a plan. He just loves you. He wants to do you good, not to harm you, give you a future, give you hope. Here's your prayers. Knows the desires of your heart. Knows how he wired you and put you together. Put you together. Lips, hips, and fingertips, the whole thing. He just is obsessed with you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. So here's what I want to do tonight for the next few minutes. I want to show you how the whole of God is pursuing you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take you through the Trinity. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, if any preacher tells you they understand the Trinity and how to explain the Trinity, that preacher is not telling you the truth, okay? Because the Trinity is beyond our wildest understanding. But sufficient to say God is one, and yet he is three. He expresses himself in three different ways. He has three distinctions. They are, in fact, indivisible, but they are distinct. He is Father, he is Son, and he is Spirit. And it should be noted in his book that in all of his expressions and distinctions, he is pursuing you. So here's what I want to do. I want you to feel like somebody just opened up a bank account for you and put a bunch of money in it when you leave. Because that, whoo, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that sounds real good. Because that's what I'm hoping you pick up tonight, this sense that, wow, I am, I didn't know I had so much going for me. Didn't know I had so much going for me. So I, I want to start with the Father. And here's my first point of the night. On this 30th anniversary, God is a father. Ooh, if I had enough time to explain to you that God's favorite title for himself is dad. If you ask me what is the most descriptive title God has ever given to man for us to begin to understand his infinite, inexhaustible ways, I would say dad. And, you know, we, we translate it in the English language father, but father doesn't do it justice anymore because in our culture now, father has become more of an official. You, you, like, how many of you call your dad father? You know, and maybe some of you do, and it's like, well, then we know that your dad's pretty strict. So, but, you know what I mean? It's like, well, then we know who your dad is. All right. So, but most of us call our father in this culture, in this part of the world, dad. And hey, what up, dad? Dad. And so, God reveals himself in this word, Hebrew word, Abba, which is more like daddy or daddy-o. I know that sounds kind of wonky, but it is like an intimate iteration of father. God reveals himself in all of his majesty and power and magnitude and fortitude, and he has so much power that when he talks, things that are not become. Right? He breathes stars and oceans and lakes and rivers, right? But he, he wants you to know 
Really, his most descriptive title is Daddy. Now, that's an interesting thing for us to sink into just for a moment. Ask yourself this question, because this is the question I'm asking myself. Has the church given the world that impression? Is that the impression we give everybody? I'm Christian. Oh, hey, sorry. Did I say anything offensive? Didn't know you were one of those born-agains. Because we are more known for morals, sometimes clothes, sometimes standards, voting, but not daddy. Right? So, so what does that tell us? Church, we have got to spend more time relishing and reveling in who God really is. Who God really is. He is your father. He's your father. So the first words God has with man. Where are you? And so the rest of the story unfolds from there. For God is still asking man. Where are you? Not, you've heard me say, not because God doesn't know where every one of us are. But we don't know where we are. Where are you? Let me, I gotta be honest with you about me and, and the whole dad thing. One of my greatest challenges as a dad is that I am so much smarter than my children. <laughs> oh, you don't have to laugh. That was a fact. You know, <laughs> and when they come to me with their concepts, I think to myself, this is not good deduction. This is not a healthy conclusion. This is erroneous. This is, this is poor logic. And so you know what I want to do as a dad? I want to say, mm, stop right there. Couple of holes in your argument. Boom, boom, boom. But what occurs to me as a part of being a dad is not being an answer man. If I need an answer man, I can go to Google. You know what you need a dad for? The Bible says you have many preachers and teachers, very few fathers. Because what a dad does, even though he knows, he listens. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, for me, dad, I just think like we got to deconstruct everything. All right. I don't even think we need clothes anymore, dad. All right. I'm serious, man. Dad, we should all just be like, I don't know. We should just wear like, like vegetables. All right. Well, Dad, look at God. Look at God. Look at God. Where are you? You know what happens after that? Adam goes, we were afraid. We hid. You know what God does? Ask another question. Who is this God? Who knows everything? But on the outset of his engagement, with the centerpiece of his creation, he's asking questions. Who is this God? Because there is very few things. Gentlemen, if you are trying to get married, let me tell you what's sexy. What's sexy is when you see, and I call it meekness, when you see a man who knows his stuff 
but can hold his tongue and make others feel important by asking questions and saying, really, that's, tell me more. That's amazing. And everybody at the table knows that person doesn't know that that guy knows, but he keeps asking the questions and you're watching it because the smartest person in the room is rarely talking the whole time. I mean, that's just the way. That I'm, these are just social cues. These aren't even like scriptures necessarily. This is just how you can finally get a date or keep one. Busy talking about your career and all the followers you got during the pandemic. All right, cool, cool, bro. Super cool. Yeah, my Instagram blew up. All right. <sighs> Meekness, power under control. And we see it immediately in God. Not insecure. Not coming down with bolts of lightning. I am God, God, God. He's walking in his grace and going, Son, where are you? I got, I got afraid. What happened? God says, what happened? Tell me what happened. This is who God is. And it's who he is to you. He's asking you tonight, where are you? Well, I, I, don't, I don't really know. Well, what happened? Tell me about it. And before you know it, you're going to start praying. And you don't even know you're praying. But you know what you're doing? You're responding to his questions and his pursuit. God's the initiator and he's available to you. And don't you let anybody tell you, you got to do this all the same way. Nah, 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 nah. See, he might meet you on the beach. He might meet you in an Uber. He might meet you. In... I had the nicest Uber guy the other day. He, he, was, he had some other music on and, and he heard me talking about Jesus, whatever. And he, he found a Christian radio station. And when I got done with the call, he goes, sir, I apologize. I turned it on to say, I said, man, it's all right. This is the sweetest man just trying to like, I, I didn't know you were a minister. Turn on the, uh... I was like, actually, can you turn it back? Is this Aiden King? So the point is, come on, Aiden, I love you. He's a father that seeks you. He's a dad that's, he's concerned with where you are and he wants to hear about it. He wants to hear about it. He wants to hear about it. Can I tell you something that's off the record? Like, like, what does that even mean? I don't know. Um, we, um, we're really inebriated with ourselves and our performance. And I just want you to know God isn't. I think some of you have a bad day and you think that God's like, ah! What happened? Ah, he went to third base with his girlfriend. God's in heaven so worried because you did heavy petting. But I'm serious. You know, I mean, for real, there are literally people tonight beating themselves up God, I'm sorry. Please still bless me. He's like, are you actually serious? You think that my blessings were predicated on your adorable, myopic, sliver-quick little existence on earth when you're on your way to forever? 
you think I love you because you're a church attendance? He's perfect. Oh, you're adorable. You got to relax. Some of you are so wound up about your performance. And what you should be spending time in, on is his performance. His performance and his pursuit of you. So tonight, here's my question. Are you a little tired? The answer to that for all of us around the world is yes. So, and if you're not, see me after. I need a hug. <laughs> but for the rest of us, we're exhausted. Everyone's on edge. There's something new that comes out in the news that frankly hurts me deeply. I can't remember the last day I didn't have some, some headline that offended me, hurt me, wounded me. I can't believe what, uh, we got too many cameras, too many microphones, too much access to too many humans around too many places while we sleep, cameras are rolling in other parts of the world and we wake up to another clip, another thing, another this, another that. Can you believe this person, that, and just, and it's like, it's like we're living inside of our own reality show. Are you tired? And then the church steps up in times like these and tells everyone, you need to pray more. Hey, read your Bible. And we all go, all right. By the way, that's always in play. You know, has, everyone, has anyone ever said, you need to pray more? And you're like, actually, I've exceeded. I've prayed too much. <laughs> that's, no one's ever done that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you need to serve your neighbor more. Like, who's ever been like, I actually have overserved. <sighs> We're all like, yeah, true. Always true. Always true. You need to be a better person. When is that ever not true? I love that. Like, I really respect your Instagram. Be a better person. Can we stop? We know. Let's not do that anymore. Who doesn't know that? What are you doing today? Trying to be a better person. Who isn't? I mean, what are you? Wow, bro, that's so sick. Thanks, man. Every day, just being a little better. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just like, yeah, we got it. But it's not working. It's not working. It's not working. I have so many stories recently of just wanting to be mean to people. And I'm not going to get into them because this is the 30th anniversary. and My mom's here. Are you tired? Do you feel like you don't do enough for God? Do you, or does this ever happen to you? Do you feel like, I can't keep this up? I just can't keep this up. Everyone's like, I respect you so much, bro. Love you, man. And you're like, great. Not sure I'm going to be the same guy next week. I'm exhausted. You ever looked at the rest of your life and thought, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I text my Friend Rye Good today, who couldn't be here, he's on his way to Florida to perform a wedding. Never thought I'd see the day. Rye Good would be doing a wedding. I love it. And I go, man, we've been doing this a while. And he goes, and we're going to keep doing it. And if you're like me, you see those words and you're like, yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, totally. No, yeah. How, how much longer? My assignment here at the church is for 17 more years. And I'm saying this because I want you to know that I'm not doing this forever. I love y'all, but I'm not doing this forever. Okay, in 17 years, you can find me in Palm Springs. 
more like La Quinta, around the La Quinta Resort and Spa. That's my spot. And I'm going to be out there. And when you see me, I'm going to have purple teeth and a big old glass of red wine. And I'm going to have the same woman under my arm. And that's this woman right here that I'm married to. But that's where you can find me. But I'm not preaching for the rest of my life. Sorry. I'm not. I'm going to be making love to this woman, drinking wine, watching Netflix. Like, what? Like, I don't know. But like 17 more years is what I got. That's my clock. And I'll be here. And I'll be your preacher. And it's my honor and my privilege to do so. This church is the only church I've really ever known. Raised me. I was 13 when it started. At night, 18 years old, became a custodian, whether I liked it or not. I was working at a golf club. My mom said, you're quitting today. And I said, okay. And then she said, you're going to become a custodian. So I became a custodian for the church. And then over the process of time, the trickery continued. No, I'm just kidding. And I became Pastor Jude's assistant youth pastor, which was hilarious because I'm pretty random and he would ask me to do things and I never did anything he asked. I just did whatever came to my mind. So I just went to high school campuses and just hung out with guys. That's what I did. Literally, that's what I did. Hey, what's up, man? And just walk back then. You could just walk on a campus. I never asked. I never checked in. It was a different era, okay? I would just walk in and just start hanging out with high school kids. That's what youth pastors did back then. From then, I became the youth pastor, the preaching pastor. My dad was diagnosed with cancer. And then the board and my mom finally said, hey, we, we think you're supposed to lead this thing. And um, the rest is, is kind of history. So I didn't, this wasn't like, uh, I don't know how to say this, but like my dream was to talk about Jesus, but my, my dream was never like, oh, I need to have my own church and like do this. It was just, I just wanted to tell people about Jesus. I'm doing this because I believe it's what God asked me to do. You're so nice. Thank you. I'm doing this because I believe it's what God asked me to do, but my identity just, it's not a pastor. It's not my identity. My identity is not a preacher. My identity is I belong to Jesus and I belong to Chelsea. That's my identity. And I want that to be your identity. This isn't about your allegiance to church home. I know we're celebrating 30 years, but I don't expect any of you to be here 30 years from now. I hope you're following Jesus wherever he takes you. Now, if you are still here, I won't be, but that's awesome. <laughs> Seriously, that's great. I won't. But I mean, I'll still be practicing with church home. It'll be hopefully through the technology and it'll be wonderful. And there'll be better leaders and communicators. I really believe that. And I'm excited about that. And that thrills me. But I want to encourage you tonight because I feel some of the pain you feel. I wonder sometimes if I can keep it up. I've been honest enough with you to tell you that some of my friends haven't been able to. And those phone calls are some of the worst phone calls I've ever received. Tomorrow, it's going to come out, Judy. You need to know. I wanted you to hear. Wait, what, bro? And so it's, 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 it's not an easy day to be a public figure. Make no mistake. I am no victim. I am blessed. I love my life. Please don't misunderstand me. But the pain is real. And longevity is becoming rare. And whatever's rare is valuable. And so I'm recognizing that the fact that I've been married 23 years and I've been preaching 27 Israel Houghton was there on Sunday. If you know Israel and his music, he was 22. I was 19. We did our first, first youth camp together in Washington State. And I remember staying up all night with Israel Houghton and we dreamed about someday reaching millions with the message of Jesus. He went on to do that. 
I did not. <laughs> he got a lot of Grammys. But the point is, <laughs> I never said that before. That one got me. Okay. If you feel tired, if you feel like you're not sure you can keep it up, this message is for you. You don't have to. He will. He will. And I, you knew I was going to cry at some point. Hopefully it's not now, but it could be. Took two baths today. Shut up. My second bath was extra good. I was rewriting my sermon because I didn't like it from Sunday. It was kind of wonky. So I was like, I had to rewrite this. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I got candles lit. You know I did. Pineapple sage. And uh, it's the scent. Like I go into deep description. You're like, eh, bro, was that 20 minutes on your bath? I don't know. And there he was. I didn't see him. Not physically. I couldn't. I wouldn't. I would lose my mind. I'm easily scared. He knows that. I, I don't want to see him like, but all of a sudden, I'm in my bathtub and I'm going, bro, whoa. And I'm, uh, and like my body starts to vibrate and I'm like, whoa, man. Bro, he just moved into my room. And it's the most wonderful thing to me in the world when he does that. And I don't even know how to tell you to get that. All I can tell you tonight is that he'll pursue you. And when you're weak, and when you're weary, and when you're tired of being a preacher because so many aren't good anymore, you're in the bath, a bubble bath, of course, because I'm a grown man. <laughs> That's right. And there he is. And I'm like, God, you are wild, man. He's just in the room and I'm like, my body starts to vibrate and you're like, wow, that'd be nice to have that experience. Trust me, it is. And I didn't do anything to earn it. I just, just here, you know, and he keeps pursuing me. And I told him today, I said, God, if you did this for everybody, things would change, man. People just don't know you like this. I don't even, I didn't know you like this. But now I do, and it's like wild lately. I was telling my friend, like, before the service, I had never felt this before. Like, I feel him so much in my body. And I'm going, God, thank you. And I just want to say tonight that, like, 30 years of church, that's awesome. But we are not here because we pursued God. We are here because he pursued us. Where are you? Are you still asking that question? Yeah. Where are you? God, you know where I am. I know, but do you? Do you know where you are, son? Where are you? Tired? Weary? Tell me more. But what happened was I got afraid. And then, you know... My girl, it's her fault. <laughs> That's how it all started. But anyways, <laughs> it sounds just like 2022. 
Number one, and yet you have a father that seeks you. Not in any particular order because I want to end with the son, but you also have a spirit that stays with you. See, in, in Bible school and Sunday school, they would tell you that Jesus um, would come into your heart. And if you grew up, when I grew up, you would always get the vision of, honey, I shrunk the kids. And I always thought that, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed, Swedish Jesus would shrink down real small and go into my heart. Because every time I saw Jesus, he was straight Swedish. I was like, dang, those Swedes are beautiful. And then I learned that was just somebody's idea. It wasn't actually accurate. But anyways, I, I remember growing up, wondering how Jesus is always with me. And I learned later that he has a spirit form. The Bible calls it a holy spirit. It's a perfect spirit. The word holy means perfect. The word holy means consistent. The word holy means he's fully God in spirit form. And he is with you. Matthew 20 and verse 28, we call it the Great Commission. It says, I want you to teach people and observe, observe all that I command you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you always. I'm with you always. I'm with you always. What would your life and my life look like if you believed those words? I'm with you always. How would your afternoon been today if you believed I'm with you always? How would that painful thing you went through a month ago gone if you had believed I'm with you always? The beginning of the Great Commission, there's this operative word go, but in some translations, there's also a word low. Go, and then it says low. Go into all the nations. Lo, I'm with you always. Lo. One old preacher, this is just funny, said it's proof that you can't fly because God's going to be with you. Lo. All right. So the point is, if you're having a trouble getting going, if the go is something you struggle with, investigate the low. He's with you. He's with you. And I have had so many days with God where I've said, man, I don't feel nothing. Wasn't like that bath today, okay? Not every day is like that. More days lately than ever. And I'm not sure why that is. I'm not sure if God's like, you actually are a nightmare and a train wreck. And unless I do this, it's not going to work. And I'm like, fair. That is a really, that's my conclusion. I think it's pretty safe and secure. Okay, God just, he, he needs to show up a little extra for this guy. But he's with you always. He's with you always. So go. Listen to me. Go. Some of you need to hear that tonight. I'm talking to you, and, and this, this just went from sermon to, like, prophecy. Your word is go, and you know it. You got to go. You got to do what God told you to do. You got to step out. It won't, we won't always be together in the Saban Theater. That is not the goal of the Saban Theater on Wednesday nights. The goal is not that we all stay together. The goal is that we go with him. Wherever he takes us. And wherever we go, we tell the story of unconditional love and mercy and forgiveness that's available to all. Some of you got to go. This church was not set up to stay. This church was set up to go. 30 years ago, we started with a go. 
We're not ending with the word safe or stay or convenient or comfortable or predictable. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. People are worked up. This church home doesn't have a service every week where they can hear a live preacher. The word is go. The church is not an event where we come here a preacher. It's a romance and a journey, and you follow Jesus wherever he takes you to go. It's unpredictable. It's wild. It's fierce. It's beautiful. It's painful. It's wonderful. It's called your journey with Jesus. It's not meant to be the same. It's going to be new challenges and new days and new seasons. You must go, friend. You must go. For lo, he is with you always to the end of the age. And lastly, God is pursuing you. He's the father that seeks you. He's the spirit that stays with you. And make no mistake, he's a brother that stands in for you. He's pursuing you. Here's what you have going for you. You have a God who's revealed himself as a father who is seeking after you. He's a spirit that is always with you. And the son of the living God is a friend that sits closer than a brother. He is your brother who stands in for you. And this is where the news gets gooder than good. 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my life verses. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. Man, there was a time I preached more sermons than I can count where that verse was a good sermon. And now it's like a, uh, it's like a, like a boat in the middle of an ocean. It's like, God, I can't live without this. For God made the only one who did not know sin, the only one to become sin. Think of the person that you think currently has done the most despicable, maniacal, selfish act you can think of. It's almost always someone in the public eye because not all of us have cameras on us every day and we should thank God for that. Be careful now. For if they recorded you like they recorded him or her, we'd all be in the headlines. Be careful now. <laughs> he became sin. All the bigotry, all the hate, all the murder, all the envy, all the jealousy, all the manipulation, all the lying, all the cheating. He became that sin. He who did not know any sin became every ugly, despicable, deplorable, unmentionable act. He took it in his body so that we who did not know righteousness, what is righteousness? It is a right relationship with the center of the universe, the divine being we know is God. 
who's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. For we did not know God. We did not know how to get to God. We knew nothing of the ways of God. So God took his son who knew no sin and he became sin so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union. Not our morals. Not our voting record. Not the hats we wear in church or don't wear in church. Not the gum we chew or spit out before we come in church because you can't chew gum and honor God. (laughs) Oh God, help your people tonight. How did this happen? How did we take a sacred union gifted only by the son of the living God and turn it into a country club where you only belong when you behave the right way? That is not the news. No. You come to our church. You got to pray. You got to read your Bible. You got to dress right. You got to act right. You got to believe. You got to. What? When did that become the news? You ever think about God? Oh, you're a religious person. I'm so sorry, bro. I, as my jokes and my language, I, I didn't. And immediately in the Western world, like I said just a few minutes ago, the cultural connotation with God is what we do, what we don't do, how we're doing, our moral, our moral muscle. How do we line up? Am I saying it right? Chewing it right? Talking it right? Doing it right? How do? Oh, ah. that's why I don't tell anybody I'm a preacher. It's the worst social dynamic of all time. Hey, can I get you anything? I'll be on a flight. Can I get you anything? Yeah, uh, coffee. Hey, do I know you from somewhere? And I'll say, partly because I was in a plane every week, you know, between LA and Seattle. I was like, ah, maybe I'm on the plane. Wait, are you? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here it comes. And there's always someone sitting next to me. You're a preacher. Thank you. She walks away and the guy next to me, man, sorry, I, I had no idea you're, you're a preacher, huh? Yeah, sometimes. Not all the time. It's immediately the message is holy, elite, elevated, exclusive. Whew. Wish I was a religious person, you know? Tell you what, I can't come to your church. The whole place would burn down if I showed up. And that's what we're still working with. Oh, church home. We're here because he pursued us. That's all I can stand on. Jesus became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. While they nailed him, I promise I'm coming to a close, while they nailed him to the tree that he had made, he cried out, he said, uh, Father, forgive them. They actually don't know what they're doing. I wish preachers would pray that prayer. We treat everybody like they know what they're doing. 
don't know what we're doing. Why do we keep acting like we know what we're doing? The people dying in the streets, they don't know what they're doing. We expect people to know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. How much do you know what you're doing? When we come in these edifices and we listen to sermonizing and study and we prop ourselves up believing we know what we're doing. No, you don't. No, you don't. (laughs) And I can prove it to you. Because one little slight alteration in your regularly scheduled program and all of a sudden you're like, what is going on? Am I the only one? I mean, I am so fragile and finite. When I find out a friend is mad at me or said something mean about me, I literally crumble like a cookie that's been on a counter for a week. Just, what, God? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Whoo. Wow. That is not in my notes. But it's hitting me real hard right here in real time. I think the message from God is I know. I know you don't know what you're doing, but I know. Jesus has these friends and um, people don't like his friends. He claims to be God, but he has bad friends. Because everyone thought that God would come and have church friends. But all of his friends didn't go to the synagogue. So that really annoyed people. Because they're like, no, God... God should be in a robe in church, putting little wafers on everyone's tongue for communion, right? It's our picture of God, but instead he's, he's up late night with knuckleheads, drug dealers, peddlers. But so finally he gets back to Jesus that people don't like his friends. So he tells stories that he wrote, he authored, fictional stories, but very true about his character and woman with a coin collection and shepherd with a sheep and and a a father with two sons. I had a friend recently tell me that, and I just got to insert this because it's so good. He looked at me and he said, and it really impacted me because I needed to hear it. He said, do you know why the shepherd left the 99? Because it doesn't make sense. The 99 must be thinking, Aren't we more valuable than one? We make up 99. And my friend said to me, the shepherd had to leave the 99 for the 99 so that the 99 knew how valuable one is. (laughs) So, yeah, I have so much more to say, but I'm going to stop. I must stop. So he tells the story and it ends the climactic conclusion. You know it. And I promise I'm coming to a close. He says, um, father had two sons and one of them moves away and the other stays. And he wastes all of his with parties and things. He's like in Amsterdam or something. And he, he comes back and 
the father sees him and runs. And here's this exchange. And I can read it to you. Guys, if you have it, I just want to read it to you. So, so the young son set off for home. He's coming back from a long distance away. His father saw him coming dressed as a beggar and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. This is, this is how God sees you. That's the story. This is how God sees you. This is how God pursues you. This is how God feels about you. Fact. This story is about the father is God and the son is you. Great compassion swelled up in his heart for you. So the father raced out to meet his boy. Swept him up in his arms. Hugged him dearly, kissed him over and over with tender love. <laughs> I like this. Then the son said, oh, Father, I, I was wrong. I, I sinned against you. I never deserved to be called your son. Just let me be. Look at this. The father interrupted. <laughs> You're adorable. All the things you think. God, I just want, the father just wants to interrupt tonight. All your explanation of what you did and didn't do. The father would like to interrupt tonight. Son, you're home now. Yeah, but I, I, uh, I didn't do good. Next verse. Turning to his servants, he said, the father said, quick, bring the best robe. I've never seen this before. My very own robe. Bring my robe. Place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I'll put it on his finger. Bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Here's the message of Jesus. Here's why he had knucklehead friends like you and me. Because this is the exchange I just read to you in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. This is it. This is it. This is it. You come home smelling like pain and loss, brokenness, and sin. What does it profit a man, Jesus says, to gain the whole world, but in the process, lose his own soul. Do you know what it's like to get a bunch of stuff and feel more hollow the next day? Your dreams are being fulfilled, but you feel hollow. The Bible says, what is it profit? You lose your own soul. The boy comes back embarrassed, tail between his legs, humiliated. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not sharp enough. I don't know my Bible. I don't know how to pray. I'm not a religious person. This isn't for me. I could never do this. And the father interrupts and says, son, you're home now. He takes his robe and covers his son. And so it is true of you. All your sin, all your error, People question the validity of sin. Brothers and sisters, you know there's sin and I know there's sin. Murder, sin. Slapping your mom, sin. Like, come on, come on. I'm like the dad, but this is not good logic. Of course there's sin. We know right from wrong. We don't even know how. We know the side of the street to drive on in this particular part of the world. How do we know? It's built in. God took our wrong and he covered it with his perfection. And now all your error, all your wrong, all your sin, all your shortcomings, all your selfishness, all your weakness is covered in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And you are completely accepted. 
completely righteous, completely loved. And you have a rightful seat at the table. You hear me? You have a rightful seat at the table. And so, as the age continues, I will prophesy something to you. Wars, rumors of wars, bigotry, racism will increase. For the most precious thing on this planet is not our programs, our architecture, our art, our clothes, our vehicles, our buildings, or businesses. The most precious thing on this planet will always be one, the human being. The human being shares the image of God. The human being shares a free will. The human being is the most valuable thing on the planet. So we will not, we will not, not stand with humanity. For nothing is more valuable than God himself on this planet than human beings. Make no mistake, the degradation of a human being is the degradation of true life. For all we have is one another. All we have is each other. And we're here at the same time. And we all in our very differences, we make up the beautiful menagerie that is the image of God. So we cannot participate in anything that lessens the dignity and the value of human beings. But nothing matters more to the Father. Nothing. Nothing. So don't think it's strange if you stay here for 17 years. Don't think it's strange if you see this guy who likes to wear big shoulder pads talking about fighting for people. Because that's what we do. It is our honor for you or me, and I am you. We are human beings. We have a father, one father, and we are all his children. And he has already made provision for our forgiveness and our acceptance. Man, I am really trying to close this thing. I feel like preaching another sermon, but I can't do that. Can't do that. Don't, don't say go. I'll do it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a preacher to be played with. I'll do it. You know? <laughs> I'll do this once a month. You know what I mean? I'll do it. Whew. You're forgiven, you know. Did you know that? It's done. Just accept it. You're forgiven. You're loved. You are his beloved daughter. You're his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. Come one, come all. I got to say one last thing. You have a friend here. It's like, it's usually not this long. It's just the 30th anniversary. Second Corinthians verse 6 and verse 3, and I, I give this as a commitment to you for the next 17 years. This is what I commit to do with you. If I'm a preacher in your life, if I'm a leader in your life, here's, what I, here's my commitment to you, and I hope that maybe you'll reciprocate if I'm really honest. 
2 Corinthians 6, 3 says this. We here at church home will put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. This verse was written by an apostle named Paul. Here he penned this singular little verse, and it seems kind of arbitrary, but it is significant. It is a commitment that this leader made to say, in my own life, I will put up no walls, barriers, or obstacles for those in my world to know Jesus. I will live with an open heart. I will live with open hands. I will live with open eyes. And our church will have open doors. We will put no obstacles in front of humanity for meeting Jesus. I will make a commitment to you on this 30th anniversary that for the next 17 years, this preacher, this leadership team, this staff will endeavor to eliminate, oppose, get rid of any obstacle that keeps humanity from their father. There will be no obstacles in this church. There will be no prerequisites to forgiveness. There will be no performance needed. You cannot warrant, you cannot deserve, you cannot earn your pedigree and your portfolio. Do not count here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's who we are, and that's what we're going to do. Everywhere we go, to every street, every corner, every barrio, every back alley, every cul-de-sac, every community, there will be no obstacle here. There will be no obstacle here. Everyone is welcome. Everyone. You hear me? Everyone. Especially the person that makes you uncomfortable. Everyone. Everyone is welcome here because I am, you are, if you're welcome, anyone's welcome. If I'm welcome, anyone's welcome. So come on, come on. I can promise you I'm not going anywhere for 17 years, but this is what we're going to do. We are shifting as a community. We're going to go from a lead pastor leadership to a lead team. Now three people will lead this community as we yield to a board. There's going to be more integrity. There's going to be more commitment. There's going to be more excellence. There's going to be more effectiveness. And we're going to put everything on the table and we're going to risk everything. And we're going to, we're going to spend thousands to reach millions instead of spending millions to reach thousands. We're going to spend more money on people than buildings. We're going to spend more money on people than programs. We're going to spend more money on people than events. And we're going to go as far as we can go. We're going to go in the wildest, craziest places. And we're going to do everything short of sin to tell everyone that they're already forgiven and the price has been paid. The purchase is done. Jesus is available to all. That's what we're going to do. Woo! I feel like just throwing the mic in the balcony. But I'm not going to. Would you pray with me just for a moment? Oh, I love you, man. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, church. I love you, church. But all the more, Jesus loves you. (laughs) 
Your home. Your home. You're loved. God's going to work it out. You hear me? There's some people in here under excruciating elements, conditions, circumstances. And God told me to tell you, he's with you always. It's going to work out. You hear me? It's going to work out. Just let go just for a moment. For the next few minutes, this is a vehicle for you to accept God's leadership in your life. It is going to work out. You hear me? My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. What God starts, he always finishes. God has not brought you out this far to take you back again. He's going to take you into those promises. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. I'm telling you, he is author, but he is also finisher. What he starts, he always finishes. You can trust him. You can give it to him. You can let go. You can let him have your life. You can let him have your past. You can let him have your present. You can let him have your future. I'm telling you, he's a good father. He's a good father. He's a good father. If you're here tonight and you would like to receive Jesus for the king that he is, for the leader he is, the savior he is, the deliverer he is, you can do that. You can do it just the way I did it by saying, okay, I I receive it. That's it. If you feel so persuaded on this night to begin a journey of following the creator of heaven and earth, I invite you to do so with every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. If you're here and you say, Judah, I would like to receive Jesus as the savior of my sins, as my king and the leader of my life. That's what I want. I want him. If that's you, there is no pressure. There is no, listen to me. There is no pressure. If you're unsure, you're uneasy, you just wait. But if you know that, you know, God has a name and it's Jesus and he loves you. And he paid the ultimate sin. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. You know who you are. One, two, three. If that's you, shoot your hand up all over the auditorium and say, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just shoot up your hand. God, I thank you for every single hand. More importantly, I thank you for every single heart. And that hand is only an outward indication of an inward reality. And I thank you, God, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. We love you, Jesus. You said you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. We sense it. We feel it. You're in this room and we love you. Here's our lives. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth, in Los Angeles, in our lives as it is in heaven, in Jesus' name.